Well, a happy Wednesday night, everyone, and welcome into another edition of This Week in Hockey. Alex Ferrario along with the Joe Vitale, who is out in Viva Las Vegas, as we bring you two straight hours of some hockey talk tonight. And first things first, Joey V, how's the how's Vegas, buddy? You know what, Alex? I, I got a little bit of a tan today. The sun was bright in Vegas. I was on the strip. And now I kind of rearranged all my furniture here in my room. We're staying at the Wardorf, and, and I literally I switched the couches. I switched the table. So I'm literally, as we speak, sitting on a couch. My feet are up on a table with my, my iPod and everything, and, and I am looking at the strip right now. How, how's your view? Uh, my view is rain, uh, a wintry <laughs> mix. Uh, it's dark. There's, there's, no, there's no hotel lights. There's no strip, and there's no poker table underneath me, which I'm assuming oh. there's one underneath you guys. Oh, you don't have palm trees no. outside your window right now? I, I can draw and a picture of a palm tree. You don't have beautiful people walking around in short sleeves and in the sunglasses, and there's lights everywhere, and there's I mean, money flying everywhere. I have a beautiful Dan Betlock sitting next to me. Long sleeves. <laughs> wow. That's debatable. Okay, I win. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you win, I win on that one. Joe's the winner. <laughs> Joe's ultimately the winner. Although I don't know how much of a winner because he's sitting in a stu- he's sitting in his hotel room in Vegas tonight, talking to me rather than out on the town in Viva Las Vegas. But hey, I will say this: I'm sitting on the couch now, Alex. But it gets better. Uh, life isn't so bad. I was actually actually sitting in the tub 30 minutes ago. I told uh, you last before last game. Yeah. The, the tub here at the Wardorf in Las Vegas is the only tub I will hop in on the road. It's like this huge soaking tub. They have these bath salts. It's like an Asian-looking bowl with like a miso <laughs> soup scooper, and you just throw in salts. I'm like pouring in salts and bubbles. And Anyway, I went full <laughs> chick on whenever I come to Vegas, I but it's a lot of fun. chick. <laughs> That's good to know. <laughs> Do you brag to your wife later on and tell her that, hey, honey, I just took a bath with some bath salts. I am fully relaxed. You know what the funny thing about that is, Alex? I used to kind of like be more careful about what do I send my wife because when I was playing, I'm on the road. You know, I'm staying at the Ritz at the Beacon Hill in Boston. We're going, you know, in the center of Manhattan at the Four Seasons. We're in the Wardorf here in Las Vegas. I used to be more careful. I'm like, oh, I don't know. But, you know, as our marriage has evolved, you know, what I've learned and what she's learned is, you know, she wants me to send those photos because she wants to make sure that I am relaxing because that way when I get home, it's go time. And yep. she can literally just take a step aside when I am fully recharged. So, no, she's extremely happy that we do stay off some really nice places. And I do have a little time for R&R between games and practices and skates and meetings. Well, it's always uh, it's always good to catch up with you on the road, buddy. So we appreciate you hopping on with us for two hours tonight for a little This Week in Hockey. And, you know, there's no easy way to transition with this, so we're just going to get into it because I think first things first, we do need to talk about what happened last night, Jay Bowmeister. Um, and we've heard from Doug Armstrong today, give an update from Las Vegas. It was on the fast lane earlier this afternoon. Uh, the best news that we could have gotten, Joe, today is the fact that Bo Meester is alert, he's responsive, he's doing well in the hospital in Orange County, and they're still doing tests on him to find out. But that's the best news that I think anybody could have heard after last night. Well, it's the best news, Alex, and I think it's the most important news right. because of what happened last night. You know, I think that stories could get spun out of control or stories can kind of get led in certain different ways. But the most important thing, and this is kind of what I've been telling people today, is that Jay is okay, and he was responding last night in the hospital. We actually, on on deciding what the team should do after the game in that hallway there, they decided to stick in Anaheim that night, which I think is a great decision. It kind of just sums up 
what this team is about, like no man left behind. They were not going to go to Vegas, leaving Jay, which being unsure of how he was. So we hop on a bus, and literally Rich Jankowski, uh, team service man here for the St. Louis Blues, he was on the horn. He he deserves the number one star for this road trip, mm-hmm. not only organizing the fathers, but trying to find a hotel room. We need like 100 hotel rooms because every player and dad stays in separate rooms. There's staff. There's medical guys. I mean, there's so many rooms that was needed. They finally found one. We were at the Ritz in Laguna Beach. We took an hour trip out to Laguna. Everyone finally gets settled in, wow. and that's where the team kind of huddled up outside that Ritz-Carlton. Uh, right before – actually, it was – just about dark, but it was enough light outside, and they all huddled up. They all FaceTimed Jay that night about three hours after the incident, and I think it was great for the players to see Jay. Uh, he even made a joke that he had 41 missed text messages, which is uh, very unusual for him, and he does not prefer ever to be like that ever again, uh, which is kind of funny because you think about it, 41 text messages after something like that is not a lot, but that just goes, I think, to show that Jay Bomeister is such a private, quiet kid who just flies so much under the radar, and that's why he's had that longevity in this league. But the boys got settled in last night. There was a breath of fresh air once the boys did FaceTime Jay. Uh, and given the situation, there was there were a couple laughs at dinner where we could finally just relax and be like, whoa. Because for a while there, Alex, it, it was just like someone just grabbing your throat and constricting your air. We just You just didn't know. And right when Curbs and I went down to the locker room, I mean, that, that hallway was so eerie. It was a weird feeling. We were down there with the dads and players, and everyone's just standing there. And it kind of reminds you of, of a hallway at a funeral. Everyone yeah. was so quiet, and it was just kind of very, very, like, unknown. Everyone's on pins and needles. And this is the dad's trip. This is supposed to be a fun trip, and it was just a very weird sight. But to get that good news from Jay, that he was doing okay and responsive, obviously joking around with his teammates just a few short hours after the incident. I tell you what, that was just a weight off everyone's shoulders. Yeah, it really was, Joe. And, you know, I don't know if you've ever experienced something like this as a player, but, you know, we had Jamie Rivers on the postgame show last night uh, when we were trying to get more answers and obviously waiting to hear back from Curbs on our postgame show. And, you know, Rivs talked about that night that Chris Pronger took a slap shot off the chest and collapsed on the ice. He talked about seeing Yuri Fisher in 2005 collapse on the bench where he was sitting next to him. And obviously Fisher just falls backwards. And then, you know, today you think about Rich Peverly's situation where he was with the Dallas Stars in 2014 and, you know, he collapses on the bench and obviously is forced into retirement from what he's gone through. And again, I can only imagine, and it's what I said on postgame show last night, I can only imagine what guys like Vince Dunn, Jake Allen, Alex Petrangelo, Jordan Bennington, what those guys are thinking when they're sitting next to or standing in front of Jay Bomeister and he collapses. Well, you're right. I mean, just Vince Dunn, just for example, who Jay pretty much collapsed in his lap. I mean, here's Vince Dunn on the bench. And he's probably thinking, you know, man, I just missed that play on that last shift. Or, or, or you know, I wonder when the next power play is going to be. Or, or you know, man, I wish I would have hit that scene play. Or what, whatever. Or what's the next player? Who's my next opponent? Who's the next line matchup? I mean, this is what goes on in players' heads. Yeah. It's, it's kind of silly to think about it when you kind of see what happens next. When your buddy literally just drops right in front of you talk about talk about a moment of just complete shift in, in any person's mind especially a hockey player in those kind of moments um you know i never experienced anything in a game like this alex i think closest was when alex or excuse me chris letang in pittsburgh he had a stroke so he was actually in the bathroom in his home had a stroke uh and then literally collapsed and his wife his wife found him we found out that night wow. went to the rink the next day but at that point everything was okay so we kind of missed that whole like is is Chris going to be okay? Because we just we already knew in that moment he was okay because all we all we heard were the results and everything was fine. But for for the Blues right here, 
when it happens in the middle of a game, there is just sheer panic. I mean, seeing the benches last night, I mean, the bench literally got lifted up. Everyone's just scurried around. It, it just, I've never seen anything like it where people were moving so quickly. You know, I talked to Mike Van Ryan, the assistant coach, uh, in the hotel last night, right as he got his room key, he was heading up to his room after we had a couple beers and some pizza, and he he was right there. And he literally was undoing Jay's straps. He was trying to unloosen his belt. And, and Mike Van Ryan just, I mean, it was like he saw a ghost. He's like, I'm looking at Jay, and he's going gray. And then he went gray to blue. And and you don't know if this is it. And, and this is what Mike Van Ryan is going through his head. Meanwhile, wow. the other assistant coach, Steve Hott, is screaming like on top of the benches screaming at Anaheim to get their medical staff over here. We need an emergency right now. And so for these coaches, for these players to experience that, to see that is completely different than like what I had to go through where you realize at the end of it, it was okay. It was just a traumatic incident because in those moments, you don't know if Jay's going to be okay. And thank God he is. But um, talk about talk about just uh, a crazy, crazy turn of events right. uh, that kind of that whole night led up to. Well, final one, Joe, before we before we wrap up this segment, and we'll come back after this and we'll kind of look ahead or look back at this past week other than the Jay Bomeister situation of the games that went on for the St. Louis Blues. But I felt like this was an important way to open up the show because I know a lot of people have questions right now about Jay Bomeister, and it was great to hear from Doug Armstrong and Alex Petrangelo. But, you know, Joe, Petro said something today at the press conference that, you know, it's not going to be easy trying to move forward and play a game tomorrow night after everything that's taken place. Now, obviously, they have good information for Jay Bomeister, but I can only imagine the hell that some of these players went through last night, as you've detailed, what they're going through tonight and what they're going to have to go through tomorrow of preparing to play a game. And the only thing that I can think of positively is the fact that this is something that these guys can rally around and go out there and win a game for Jay Bomeister. Man, you really hope so, Alex. I mean, you in some ways, this is a group that has dealt with adversity. It's a characteristic makeup of this group that whenever things get hard, whenever things on the line, this is where this group just always seems to rise to the occasion. Uh, I don't think anything's been as personal of traumatic as to this regard. Mm -hmm. uh, you almost wonder if, if this was such an impact on so many people and so many players that it's just maybe. Maybe it just takes more time to get through. I mean, I really don't know, and we won't know until tomorrow night. Right. But you can totally see if the Blues just do not have it too because of given everything that's happened on this trip. Um, you know, not to mention, Alex, but we haven't talked about this, but this is the father's trip. Right. I mean, this is so much happening, right? We can get into this next segment if you want, but there's so much happening. And, you know, in some ways, thank God it's the father's trip because, uh, you know, someone made the comment last night on oh, poor Jay's father's here. But then you kind of think about it like, well, I mean, if you're a father, there's no other place you'd rather be. I mean, right. Jay's dad was with him in the ambulance, going to the hospital. I mean, of all the games that Jay's dad is missing his career, the one he is at is with his son. I mean, that is just perfect. And not to mention, Alex, there's, there's with all the players kind of going through this kind of crazy transition for the last 24 hours. I mean, who? What better person to have? I think in your life to kind of go through these moments with than than your father. I know I'm kind of getting off the rails here a little bit, but just to kind of tie it all into Jay. Yeah. Um, you know, he 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 is a player that just personifies Blues hockey. He he means so much to this group. He is just that that quiet, just kind of yogi, a, a, a just presence in that locker room where he doesn't need to say anything, but he's just got that incredible presence where you may not see see him or hear him, but you can smell him when he's in the room. You just know he's around, and that's what these players just really thrive from: his leadership skills. His, his ability to make the simple play. Uh, this is a hole without question for the St. Louis Blues, not only on the ice from a 
um, a player standpoint, but definitely in a locker room standpoint, from a bench standpoint, uh, a calmness standpoint. Um, so seeing how this moves forward is going to be something to keep an eye on. Yeah, no doubt about it. And we'll touch on the dad's week. We'll touch on this past week for the St. Louis Blues next. It's this week in hockey. It's Joe Vitale, I'm Alex Ferrario, Danny Betlock, Dan Pants is in the house. We got more of Hockey Talk coming your way next here on 101 ESPN. Back in, in our 101 ESPN studios, Alex Ferrario with you on a Wednesday night. Blues back in action tomorrow night against the Las Vegas Golden Knights. It's a 9 o'clock puck drop with Curbs and Joey. We'll have an 8 o'clock Mitsubishi Electric pregame show presented by First Community and an 8.30 BMW of West St. Louis pregame skate. And if you're just joining us, Doug Armstrong, Alex Petrangelo talked this afternoon, gave an update on Jay Bomeister saying that he is doing well, he's responsive, and he's going through more tests. The Blues will play tomorrow night against Las Vegas, and they will make up the game against the Anaheim Ducks at some point later on in the season. But, Joe, as we look back in this past week, and let's start with the dad strip because I think that's really interesting to talk about kind of, you know, the situation that happened with Jay Bomeister last night. And, of course, the best time it could happen is when you're on the dad strip, on the ice, aware that he has medical attention around him. But, you know, it, it's so odd how this turn of events happens because I was just watching a video last night before the game and we were going to use some of the audio in our pregame or in our intermission of the dads out at dinner with all of the players. They're all out having a good time, joking around. Mitch Bozak's going around and interviewing players and the head coach, Craig Berube. And then you have a circumstance like last night. It's just a, it's a weird and stressful turn of events to start off a dad's trip with. Yeah, no, it really is, Alex. And, you know, actually, it's funny. We're at a break there. I texted Jay this morning just to check in and let him know we're thinking about him, praying for him. And, and he actually just got back to me. He said, thanks, Joe. I appreciate it. And he said he's doing well. So the awesome. fact that he's texting not only his teammates, but, you know, different personnel from around the team, I mean, just shows you that he is alert and he is doing okay. So that's number one. Uh, number two, Al yeah, again, Alex, I, I saw him at the morning skate uh, yesterday morning. Like, like any morning skate, team just gets off the ice. It's around uh, 11.45, 11.50. And I'm going in there talking to some players. And he just walks by and I give him the old, hey, good morning, Jay. And he gives me the old, hey, and just kind of keeps on walking. I mean, that, that's just Jay. Yeah. I mean, that's what Jay does. He does it to everyone. He's just such a quiet presence, just a great guy in that locker room. Just does not say very much. And, and then to look at him on the ice, you're right. Uh, the dad's at dinner uh, the night before, seeing Jay in the morning. I mean, it just, everything just seems so normal about this trip, about that morning. And then for things to turn. But that is just how quickly as we all see tragedies in this world, this is how, how quickly things can happen. You never think it happened to anyone close to you, but it really does. Uh, but you know what? The dad's trip. I mean, the fact that we, we touched on it a little bit in the last segment, Alex, but the fact that these fathers are here with their sons, uh, grabbing coffee together, uh, at the meals together, in the hotels together, riding on the bus together, up and down planes together. I mean, just that, that personal touch these, these fathers are providing right now for their sons in such a, a very traumatic time, I think, is so important. And one father in particular, um, Alex, uh, Brian O'Reilly. So Ryan O'Reilly's dad obviously is on this trip. We all know Brian. I mean, he's very well known now around the National Hockey League. He, he's a, a player development coach for the San Jose Sharks. He's kind of a, I guess, a, I guess a, a coach, a human coach. What do they call those, Alex? Like uh, uh, people life who like, help people. Life coach. That's what I'm thinking. Life coach. Credit he's to a life Dan coach. Pants he's there. Thanks, Dan Pants. Uh, by the way, what a nickname. <laughs> what a nickname. Uh, he's, a life, he's a life coach, and, and he helps people not only in, in the sports industry and players, but he helps a lot of people. He's, he's so much knowledge. I mean, talk about a 
player you feel like that just sees a, a person that just sees right through you. Like he, he looks through your soul when he talks to you. I love my conversations with Brian, but he's on this trip. You know, he addresses the team last night when they got to the hotel there at the Ritz at Laguna Beach. Uh, they got the group together. They had a meeting and it was Brian. It was Brian O'Reilly, uh, Ryan's dad, that addresses the team and uh, not sure of the exact details of what was said just yet, but just his calming presence, his ability to communicate to these players about maybe expressing some of the things they're going through. Uh, another another way for a father to contribute to this kind of whole mess of of what it was last night. And another one, Alex, before I turn it back over you really quick, I know I'm kind of rambling here, but there is just so much going on I saw this morning. Right. Uh, I'm, on, I'm on the beach. I go down for a walk on the beach this morning before the bus leaves, and the first two people I see on this quiet, beautiful beach in Laguna Beach uh, is you know Robert Bortuzzo and his father, Oscar. And they're wow. walking together. And they're just talking. I'm, I'm running up behind them. And I'm just kind of watching this all kind of unfold with this beautiful ocean. And, and you know what? It just really like tugged at my heart. Like here, here's a dad and they're going, he's going for a walk with his son. And I even asked Oscar about it when we got to Vegas here. I go, that was awesome this morning, taking your son for a walk. And he, he said to me, he said, yeah, you know, I asked him if he'd uh, go for a walk with me. I didn't think he'd say yes, but, but he did. <laughs> I mean, this is, this is 7 a.m., you know, after a game where they were just traveling. So, I mean, it just goes to show you that I think a lot of players kind of uh, checked in with, you know, I think we all have these check-ins in life. And, and last night was a check-in for a lot of people. And I don't know what Robert and his dad were talking about. Maybe they were arguing about something. Who even knows? But, <laughs> but the fact is they were together. You know what I mean? And, right. and under normal circumstances, maybe they weren't. So just a lot of, um, it was obviously a, a crazy tragedy that could ended up very badly. But then you look at the positives and look at kind of some of the light that's happened because of that moment. Uh, it's pretty enriching to look around and see it. My guess is they were talking about Oscar Bortuzzo's <laughs> phenomenal mustache. <laughs> hey, that is, you know what, that is a, that is a very well-kept mustache. That's not like a, that's not like a furry mustache is going out of control. I mean, he has like perfect lines on top and bottom. Right. Like you got to be able to pull off a mustache because you either look like some type of odd person walking around in a trench coat trying to lure children over to you, or you look like, <laughs> you look like a BA who can pull off a mustache. Like there's two Robert, ways to go. Robert has said he's never seen his dad ever. Now, Robert's uh, 32, 33 years old. Robert has never seen his dad without a mustache. Can you imagine going your entire life with your father having a beard or a mustache and never seeing uh, a change-up from that? You know what's funny? I'm the same way. Uh, the, the only thing I can see from my father is a mustache. The pictures that I saw of him when he was in high school, he had a mustache. He's never not had a mustache. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. It, and then I try and pull a mustache off, and my wife looks at me and goes, go shave that off your face. So <laughs> there's, there's two ways to go with it. Well, you know, and I, I don't want to talk too much. Obviously, we have to talk hockey, but it's such a tough thing to do right now because you're not even thinking about hockey with this Blues team, Joe, because of these events with Jay Bowmeister. But I do want to just mention before we take a break here, of the, the past week for the St. Louis Blues, of course, you know, they wrap up a homestand where they, they can't buy a victory. It's seems after they lose to the Jets and then they lose to the Dallas Stars um, they head out onto the road to hopefully try and turn the events around for this team and unfortunately you know they looked like they were buzzing against the Anaheim Ducks before the events happened with Jay Bomeister but it, it looked promising at least to get this team out on the road and try and shake off the, uh, the cobwebs of what they've been having at home. Yeah, I think so. I think this is exactly what this team needs in this moment. You know, the road hasn't been necessarily friendly. The home hasn't been necessarily friendly. Uh, the next best thing, and that third tier to me, is probably just include some fathers because we'd all know right. up to that point last night in that game, 7-1 all-time with the fathers on the trip. So you would think that 
you know, this is maybe just the, the jolt, maybe just the spark this Blues team needs. Unfortunately, the game does get canceled because of everything that happened last night. But the Blues did look good there in those spurts for the first seven, eight minutes of that game. So uh, is this something that's going to start trending in the right direction? Again, the first test is tomorrow night against a very good Vegas team uh, uh, with not only hockey, but a lot of other stuff going on in these players' minds. Uh, you can see the game going uh, either way, very positively or very poorly for the Blues, and, and completely understand either one of those, given the, the circumstances. Um, but I definitely saw a team in those first five, six minutes of that game, some great things and trending in the right direction. Well, and that's big, too, for this team. And, you know, it was nice to see Ivan Barbashev score that goal uh, last night against Anaheim. And, you know, Jordan Cairo set that up. And it's funny, Joe, we were talking about that in the pregame show. And I want to talk about Cairo a little bit later on tonight. But it was just nice to see him be able to pick a puck off a defender's stick and pass it over to Barbashev. Put a little confidence in this 21-year-old's game. Well, I think so. And I know we're going to talk about him in, in a little bit more detail pretty much later in this show. But, but to just touch on that, Alex, absolutely right. I mean, Jordan Cairo has been a player that has been up and down dealing with a knee injury from last season. He misses all at camp, spent a lot of time in the minors to start the year. He gets called up. He has a little bit of success. And then here comes a little bit of a valley. He's, mm-hmm. he's going through some development issues now, like most players do go through. My goodness, we saw it last year with Robert Thomas. Uh, but this is these are some growing pains. Coming for Jordan Cairo, I thought it was a big step for him last night. I know it was just a, such a small snippet of a game that we saw, but but there was motion there. There was movement there. He, he had a forecheck where he, he turned the puck over, forced a turnover right after the goal, and then that goal, right spot at the right time, he makes a good poke. Uh, he had a difference. He had an impact in that game. He played with a lot more confidence than he's been playing with for the last couple weeks. Well, we'll dive into Cairo in the second hour tonight of This Week in Hockey. When we come back, you know, we know Vladimir Tarasenko and Oscar Sundquist are on the injured list right now for the Blues, but there are a lot of big names that are on the injured list. Joe and I will talk about that, and we will also talk about how that impacts the trade deadline next here on This Week in Hockey on 101 ESPN. Back in on a Wednesday night, Alex Ferrario, Joe Vitale with you as Joey V out in Las Vegas. Blues and Golden Knights in action tomorrow night. Again, a 9 o'clock puck drop and 8 o'clock Mitsubishi Electric pregame show presented by First Community. Now, the good news is Oscar Sundquist is on this road trip with the Blues, of course, still injured for St. Louis. Um, and then you do have Vladimir Tarasenko, who's on the injured list still He's skating, but we're obviously still a long ways away from this one. But, Joe, it's gotten to the point now where injuries just seem to be a common thread in the National Hockey League. And there are some really big names that are out for at least the next couple of weeks for their team. I'm just going to list some of these names for you right now. Seth Jones, he's out four to six weeks for the Columbus Blue Jackets. Connor McDavid, he's out two to three weeks for the Oilers. Shea Weber out four to eight weeks, possibly the rest of the season for Montreal. Mark Giordano out for four to six weeks for Calgary. Nazem Kadri for Colorado out three to four weeks. Steven Stamkos and Nikita Kucherov both were injured in the last game for Tampa Bay, and it's kind of an uncertainty right now. But I don't know if we're having a problem with injuries in the NHL, but this is a big blow for the NHL because of these big name status for all of these teams. Well, yeah, it is, especially when, you know, you're a visiting team and like, let's just take the Pittsburgh Penguins who played the Tampa Bay lightning last night. I don't know where Tampa goes next, but you know, I know that Kucherov left in that game. So he was a part of that game, but let's say, take, for example, if they didn't, you're a Pittsburgh fan, you have the Tampa Bay lightning come into town. You're excited to see Nikita Kucherov. You're excited to see the big bomb of Shea Weber 
from Montreal when he comes to town. So it is a bit of a it's a bit of, of a bummer for a lot of fans and for a lot of fans around the league that are fans of all uh, all teams and all star players, not only uh, biasly their own team. So that's number one. You know, I think if you look at these injuries, Alex, to me, a lot of it has to do with the time of the year. I mean, you do see a lot more injuries. I've always found that way. Uh, with late January, mid-February, end of February uh, on that timeline. Uh, the reason is uh, teams are kind of approaching that 60-game mark and they, you know, a little bit of ways away from the playoff time. And, and this is where a lot of times with 60 games, you start to see those tweaks. You start to see those sprays. You start to see the groins going out. Now, the Kucherov, while well, we don't know, which all we know now is this lower body. They haven't had further comment on it. But, like, look at Shea Weber, an ankle. I think Seth Jones was an ankle as well. Um, one was a sprain for Shea Weber. I think that Seth Jones is going to get surgery, and he's going to be out for four to six weeks uh, as well. Or maybe that was indefinitely. But the fact is, I mean, these are lower body injuries that when you're a player, you just uh, there there is something to be said about the wear and tear of these games night in and night out. And not to mention any player, these are your star players. This, this is a Seth Jones that is logging a top five minutes in the National Hockey League around 25, 26 minutes a night. You're looking at Shea Weber, who, who is a bit older now, but he's still logging those heavy minutes. Steven Samkos um, is another one. Uh, so for me, it has to do with how much these players are playing and this time of the year. Now, I will say with that, uh, which player is going to have the most impact? I don't know about you, Alex. I've always felt that the goaltender position was number one. If you lose a goaltender, that has a huge impact on your team. The next one up is the defensive end, and yeah. then comes the forwards very last. I look at a player like Kucherov. I, I know Tampa Bay Lightning has what it takes up front to make up for it. Now, it's not going to be the exact same, but they still have enough power. Look at Nazem Kadri in Colorado. I think Colorado has plenty uh, from the depth standpoint, to pick up the slack for Nazem Kadri being lost. So from the forward standpoint, it's a little bit less. I think the biggest impacts of all the names you just mentioned to me are number one is going to be Seth Jones. I mean, Seth Jones and what the Columbus Blue Jackets have been doing with Elvis Merzlikens on the back end right there. I mean, they're really been the biggest surprise in the National Hockey League. John Tortorella is up for the Jack Adams Award, uh, and rightfully so. Uh, so Seth Jones, to me, that's a big one. Shea Weber is such a huge piece not only to that blue line in Montreal, but also just from a leadership standpoint, from a presence standpoint. We mentioned Jay Bowmeister and what his presence means to the Blues. I mean, that's Shea Weber to a T. So you look at from the defensive standpoint, I think that the defensemen that are, that are injured in that list you just named are going to have the biggest impact. I mean, we saw it with Dougie Hamilton, who went down about yeah. a month, month and a half ago, and look how the Carolina Hurricanes have slid. I mean, it, it is such an important position, and it's, and it's a player – like Dougie Hamilton or Shea Weber or Seth Jones, they, they play almost half the game. I mean, that is a huge impact. So for all the injuries you just mentioned, all the big names that are out, it, it is players from that back end that is going to have the biggest impact on their team. Yeah, the one that sticks out to me is Mark Giordano. And, I mean, you're talking about a Calgary yeah. Flames team that has been in and out of the playoffs, you know, the top three. They've dropped to a wild card. They've dropped out. They fought their way back in. But not only is Giordano a presence when it comes to the defensive end in terms of right in front of your goaltender he's also the captain of that team and that's a big piece to lose from your locker room I mean that's that's taking Alex Petrangelo out for an extended period of time and you know Dougie Hamilton I thought it's a perfect example of what you said Joe because look at Carolina they came into St. Louis a team that was out of the playoffs but a team that was trending in the wrong direction because before they came to St. Louis, they were a team that couldn't stop winning. I mean, it was just win after win after win. You lose a presence like Dougie Hamilton, things fall apart a little bit. So I'm really interested to see what happens with Columbus because they have been playing so solid 
for their division and in terms of playoff standings and kind of being right in the thick of things, but you lose your quarterback on the power play. You lose that guy who's eating 25 plus minutes for you a night. That's a major blow to your roster. And, you know, while I'm looking at all of these names, Joe, you kind of sit there and you think, boy, all of these players are going down at this time of the season where the Blues had all of their injuries in the beginning of the season. Now, again, I know Tarasenko's injured. I know Sunquist is still injured. But you were playing without Steen. You were playing without Barbashev, without Pareko. You had your injuries early. Now other teams are starting to have their injuries. How do they handle it? And can they handle it as well as the Blues handled it? Well, again, Alex, I mean, the point I just made uh, – from a defensive standpoint and how that has such a bigger impact on the team, look at the St. Louis Blues. I mean, you mentioned Steen, you mentioned Sunquist, you mentioned Blay, you mentioned Tarasenko. Again, all forwards, and the Blues really didn't slide off. I mean, we're still here sitting first in the West. Now, uh, will would we be any different, let's say, for example, that what if Petrangelo went down with a, a six-month uh, six injury in October? Yeah. Would we be in the same place as we are right now? To me... I don't think so. I, I, I don't think we're sitting up. Do you know what I mean? Like we're not in first. I mean, there is something about those back end star defensemen. I, I know, I know they're on the power play. Great. I know they can defend wonderful, but coaches in the national hockey league, the two words you hear the most are we want to play North and we want to play fast North and fast. If you do not have a good puck moving defenseman who can shift and move the puck up North and get things going North and play fast, you won't play fast. And that, that is the problem with the Carolina Hurricanes and what they've lost with Dougie Hamilton. Yes, he's great on the power play. Yes, he's creative. Yes, he can defend. But they're, they're missing puck movement. They're not moving the puck as swiftly as they used to. Forward, It's a forward's dream to look back and see Dougie Hamilton or Alex Petrangelo or Mark Giordano. And some defensemen, it takes a long time to develop, and some defensemen have it and some don't. So that's why... To me, again, it kind of goes full circle to when you lose a star defenseman, that's when you have an impact. For the, for the Columbus Blue Jackets, geez, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, you're losing your, your most minute guy, uh, your back end, your leader on the back end, your power play specialist, a defenseman that can get up, defend, you know, how that all works um, as far as how they were going to recover. The good news for them is they're getting some terrific goaltending right now. Yeah, well, and surprisingly, because everyone was wondering who the hell was going to be a net for them when Sergei Bobrowski left in free agency, and he's kind of uh, taken it back at – it's kind of gone back in his face because they've been getting phenomenal goaltending from Elvis Mer, or Elvis Merzlikens and uh, their other goaltender, the backup guy as well. And by the way, Columbus is sitting in a wild card spot. So, Joe, real quick, the, the part that I'm intrigued by with all of these injuries is which team – comes out more aggressive after all of these announcements. And, you know, we saw a trade by your former team a couple of days ago, the Pittsburgh Penguins acquiring Jason Zucker from Minnesota for Cam Addison, their top prospect, a first-round draft pick, and Alex Galchenyuk. Um, they're being aggressive because, of course, they're in the same division as the Washington Capitals, as the New York Islanders, as the Philadelphia Flyers. they got a lot of teams that they have to deal with in the Metro Division. But out of all of those names that I mentioned to you, is there a team because of the injury that seems to you, boy, they're going to have to be real aggressive now? Because to me, there's two teams. One, the Columbus Blue Jackets, because you got to find some type of way to help. And I don't know how they're going to do that um, because they mortgaged their future basically last year. And the other one is I think Colorado becomes a lot more active at the trade deadline with this Nazem Kadri injury. 
You know what? I think, again, Alex, I, I think that Colorado, to me, is going to be okay. Uh, I don't know. I don't think they've really given a timeline on the Nazem Kadri thing. I think he doesn't look like it's going to be anything long-term. I think that's going to be a situation where they're probably going to be all right. I'm looking at teams from that back end again. I'm looking at a Calgary Flames team that finished in the West uh, number one last year. They've slid. They've been up and down lately now. They're starting to trend a little bit better. But you lose your leader. You lose your back end. And there's a team that needs help, I think, on the back end in the first place, especially even with George Giordano in the lineup. So Calgary Flames, that's to me one that's going to buy and probably buy aggressively. Uh, you know, I, I, I like just kind of stick in the central here, and this is, really has nothing to do with the teams that have any injuries. But I, I keep thinking, I keep leaning on a team like Winnipeg right now. Yeah. I don't know what's going to happen with the Dustin Buffett. I understand he's, I guess, well, I guess he is injured um, because of the ankle injury, and he's eating right. up $7.6 million well, of their cap his base. contract, too. Yeah, you know, so that's something that, you know, they're going to work out and deal with. So then you got some free cap space before that deadline. Paul Maurice just signed a new extension in Winnipeg. That coaching staff uh, with James Comp- Jimmy Compound over there um, deserves so much credit for, for what they are doing and how they've kind of, you know, really kind of shifted that culture there, given all the pieces they lost in the back end. If you can free up that $7 million that you lost from Dustin Bufflin, they're going to figure out a way to grab a big piece on that back end. And you don't know, man, from a forward standpoint, I like Winnipeg's team. I just think they need maybe one piece on the back end. And with, um, you know, Connor Hellebuck playing as good as he's been playing, they, they could make a splash here come pretty soon. Yeah, they really could. And, I mean, we saw that firsthand two games back-to-back. It felt like that, you know, Winnipeg was saved by their goaltender. If you get a good defenseman back there and you get some health, Winnipeg, once again, is a dangerous team to deal with. Do you think that does anything for the Blues angle of this one, Joe, in terms of, you know, other teams dealing with injuries? We already saw a trade because it's funny. I saw a couple of reports out there from uh, from analysts out in Canada basically stating that the word is what Pittsburgh had to give up to get Zucker who had term on his contract is going to have to be more for the New York Rangers if somebody wants Chris Kreider which to me I don't know if I'm willing to jump on board with that well I mean that's an interesting one Alex especially because Chris Kreider at this point would be a rental situation I mean you could always switch you could always uh, get a person at the deadline and turn it into a contract, right. um, you know, like we saw there with Mark Stone in Vegas, for example, or Carlson in San Jose. But uh, for a rental standpoint, I mean, you're, you're, you're talking at least a first round, a prospect, and probably something more now for Chris Kreider. And looking at a rental situation, it really just boils down to how aggressive uh, will Doug Armstrong be and, and, how, and how urgent is this window? Uh, that they're going to be looking at. I mean, if we're looking at if he feels a one, two year window and this, this could be the year for us, especially have Terra single back. I mean, you're throwing all your eggs in the basket and you're going to be aggressive and you're going to go after Chris Kreider. It may cost you a first round or may cost you another prospect. It may cost you two prospects. I mean, you don't know, but if that's the case and you feel like Chris Kreider is that player that can kind of get blues over this little hump they're on right now, and then really kind of fly through the playoffs, he could take his playoff experience. I mean, he's a six. He's a six foot three, two hundred fifteen pound winger that can absolutely burn. I mean, they're, they're, he is such a uh, a mix of size and speed and grit. I think he would fit so well into the Craig Berube system of that puck possession, wanting to play fast. I think he'd complement either of those top two lines very well. Uh, again, but a lot has to come down to Tarasenko. A lot has to come down with Craig Berube's aggressiveness. Uh, but I know one thing: Craig Berube will not. You get Chris Kreider if the asking price also is too high. So it's just about finding that balance. But I definitely think a player like Chris Kreider will help this team. Anthony Duclair, he's another player yeah. in Ottawa who's having a career year. He was at the All-Star game. I play with him in Arizona. He's a terrific kid. He's fast. He's got a great attitude. 
Uh, when he came into the league, a little bit of a hothead, I think. I think um, kind of a youthful, kind of knucklehead, I guess is the best way to explain it. But we all are. We've all gone through that transition. But he's a player that, from what I understand now, has just really matured. Uh, he's taken his game to a whole nother level. He's understanding what it is to be a pro. He's only on like a $1.6 million contract. I mean, this could be a great pickup. He will get picked up, I believe, from someone unless Ottawa feels very strong and they sign him to an extension uh, before the summer. Who knows? But that, that's another player to kind of keep an eye on. He can play that left wing. He can play with speed. It's another great option. That's Joe Vitale. I'm Alex Ferrario. We're going to play a little game with Joey V when we come back because two numbers being retired tonight in the NHL, the Vancouver Canucks. Of course, one number is going to be retired next year by the Blues. So we're going to find out how good Joe knows retired numbers in the NHL. So we'll hit on that next year on This Week in Hockey on 101 ESPN. Final time this hour of This Week in Hockey. Plenty more to get into next hour. We will talk about Jordan Cairo and Craig Berube. We'll talk about Chris Pronger's number headed into the rafters. We'll talk about the NHL possibly back to participating in the Olympics and then, of course, we have what's up with that. But as we welcome back in Joe Vitale from Viva Las Vegas, Blues in action against the Golden Knights tomorrow night. Joe, how do you feel about uh, how do you feel about numbers retired in the NHL? You think you're good with it? Oh uh, yeah, I'm, I'm great with it. I okay. mean, yeah, I'm great with all of them. I mean, the, the National League why one obviously Wayne Gretzky. No one should touch that number. And and I think it's cool. I think it's a cool tribute when the teams do it individually. Of course, we're going to see Chris Pronger's done next year. To me, I, I love looking up at the Raptors and all these buildings I go to, Alex. And it kind of reminds you of some of the greats that really laid down the foundation of this team and to pay tribute to them to make sure no one wears that number and everyone can kind of recognize it uh, looking above in these buildings. I think it's a terrific thing. Why? What about you? You don't like it? Oh, no, no, no. I love it. We're going to play a game here. And I want to see how okay. good you are with them. But first, first things first, you played against the Sedin brothers, didn't you? Because same conference. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. You're totally they, uh, on they... board with the fact that those two numbers should go into the rafters. I, I personally feel like they're Hall of Famers. Oh yeah, I mean they made me look silly plenty of times. I mean, uh, you know, you're looking at you're looking at players who, for I mean, for brothers who have played over a thousand games, they almost hit that fifteen hundred game plateau. I mean, uh, staples in, in a Canadian market. I mean, let, let's talk about to play. I mean, as many years as they did, but only but also in a Canadian market. I mean, that's completely different right. than playing as many years as they did, let's say in Nashville. Or even a St. Louis, for that matter, or a Florida Panthers. They played in Vancouver, where the stress was always high on them. Uh, going back to when uh, Ron Burke drafted them, of course, Vancouver had the third overall pick back in '99. Uh, Berkey did his kind of uh, shuffling around, and he ended up doing a trade with Tampa Bay, who had the number two pick, and then grabbing both Sedin kids. I mean, that was just uh, phenomenal in itself. And for them to go as long as they did uh, in Vancouver, uh, to me, absolutely without question, they both belong in the Raptors, especially for how they ended their career. I mean, I think it was an overtime game where one of them, I forget which Sedin scored, but the other one of Sedin assisted on in overtime. It was just, it was magical, man. Those two, uh, you cannot think about Vancouver Canucks without thinking of the Sedin twins and, of course, Pavel Bury. All right, then, Joe. So let's see how good you are with some of these numbers. I'm going to give you a name, and I'm going to give you the team, and I want you to tell me if it is in the rafters there or if it's not in the rafters. And fans can play along. You can text us at 65780 if you think. Maybe give Joe Vitale a little assistance with this one. All right, you ready, Joe? Let's do it. All right, first one's first. Of the Dallas Stars, Mike Madano. Dallas, of course, of course, Madano's is retired. So this this game is your question if I know if they're retired yeah, or not, because Mike Madano's one half. 100% number nine in the rafters. I know that. Do you remember when he – because I honestly thought it wasn't in the rafters yet. I thought it still had to be done. But it went up there pretty quick after he retired. 
I mean, it, it was, did. It no. was in the Raptors in 2014, and I think he called it, it a career, what, in 2012 or 13 after it, playing with Detroit? It, oh, yeah. No, yeah, it was pretty pretty releasing because he finished off in Detroit uh, because, you know, like one of my favorite moments as a player was taking a face-off against him. It's a long story. I won't get into it now and kind of derail the segment oh, here. Oh, no, get Alex, into it. I, I, I took a um, – when I was a kid, I went to Minnesota to, to visit the North Stars. My brother wanted to get John Casey's autograph. Uh, when we were outside the hotel looking for John Casey, one of the other seekers was like, hey, you want to get this kid's autograph? He's going to be really good one day. I go, oh, yeah, who is it? He said, it's Mike Madonna. I think I was maybe seven or eight years old at the time. I get Mike Madonna's autograph. Fast forward, I'm, I'm 24. It's my first preseason game of my rookie season, and we're playing the Detroit Red Wings, and I take a face-off against Mike Madonna, the photographer at that game. He got a shot of it with like the whole rink at the Joe Lewis in the background with all the teams at that face-off dot in the offensive zone. Anyway, I got that picture. It's in my bar. And I know Joe Micheletti, who Mike Madonna married his daughter, and Joe said to send me the photo and Mike will, will sign it for me. So I'm looking forward to that. Oh, but yes, hell yes. Getting, back to what you, but getting back to what you said, Mike Madonna's number is retired because I remember when we go to the, uh, the Dallas Star, I believe it's the American Airlines Center down in Dallas, right when you get up to the broadcast booth, there's a huge like four foot by like seven foot portrait of Mike from behind a shot from behind with number nine going up in this, in the Raptors. All right. So that's an easy one. Uh, next one, Jeremy Roenick. Ooh, Jeremy Roenick. I don't think his name, his number is retired with Chicago. Is it Dan? Do you want to jump in on this one? See if you can guess. I would, I would say no. Cause of all the other time he spent with the, the Coyotes. So his number. Coyotes. Yeah. He was retired. with San Jose too, wasn't he? It's retired in Arizona. It's in Arizona. Okay. Wow. Oh retired. yeah, it is in Arizona. Nine, Shoot, I should have known. His yeah. ninety-seven. No big deal. Just we your, your old team. I get half a point. We get half a point. Yeah. Joe, no. give Joe half. No point. half. A point. Oh man, how do I not know that? I mean, I I played there. I I guess I just I don't know. But man, how did I miss that one? So you always twenty-seven. What number was he? Ninety-seven. Ninety-seven. That's right. Yeah. Because I thought and his I tell number what, was retired in Philly, but it's not. And it's amazing. He only played six years in in Phoenix. I mean, he bounced the the players that bounce around the league all the time. Like you don't think of Jeremy Roenick as like a retired right. Phoenix Coyote because he played there. I think only like six years. He started his career obviously in Chicago. Then he went to Phoenix, but then he bounced around in Philly. I think he played a year in LA. Right. He finishes his career. I know for a fact he finished his career in San Jose because that's right before I cracked in the league. But for players that have been around, you know, he's not like a Marty Brodeur who just kind of think of him as a New Jersey devil. I mean, Jeremy Rowling's been around forever. So, man, I I guess I should have known that one, but you stumped me there. Stumped it. Okay, next up, Paul Correa. Paul Correa's number is absolutely retired in Anaheim because we were just there last night, Alex. That's, Timo Solani and Paul Correa. Just making sure. Yeah. And and one other one. You know who the other one is? Timo Solani. Timo Solani, Paul Correa, and then one more. Niedermeyer. Oh, Niederreiter. Niederreiter. What did I say? Niederreiter? Niederreiter? No, I don't think that. Okay, next one, Craig Conroy. <laughs> Craig Conroy's number is, and I guess it would be Calgary, right? Yeah. Um, I'm gonna say no for that. I'll say no on that one too. No is correct. It is not retired. Yeah. And, and his points may not might shadow it, but he played such a long time in Calgary, helped them to a Stanley Cup final. Of course, they didn't win. That was the year that they lost to Tampa Bay. But he does hold the record, I think, if, at least for the team in terms of a lot of assists. Next up, Brendan Shanahan. Brendan Shanahan's number, geez. Oh. This one stumped me because I could have sworn I knew this. My initial uh, reaction Dan. was yes in Detroit. That was my initial reaction. Joe? Uh, I mean, 
see, that's another one of those things you would imagine that there would be retired in St. Louis for what he did there. But uh, I'm going to say, I'm going to say no. I'm going to say no, he's not retired. So he's not retired. And yeah. I, th- I thought he was either retired by Detroit or I thought it would have been retired by the New Jersey Devils who drafted him and that's where he started. He, yeah. he was not retired by any of them, which surprised wow. the hell out of me. You'd think he'd be uh, retired over Ronick and right, you know, right again. That's one of those players that bounce around a lot, so like you don't really know. Like, but he's a Hall of Famer. He, he's won Stanley Cups. Yeah. So it's like, why wouldn't it be? But he didn't really embody any team specifically, right. which is the recognition of that team retiring that number. You know what I'm trying to say? Right. Yeah. Yeah. For like sure. it's like you know, like Shane Doe never won a cup. It's funny, uh, he doesn't have the, he but, doesn't have the numbers that. Um, Brennan Shanahan had, but his number will be retired in Arizona because of what he meant to that, that, that organization for such a long time. You know what I mean? Right. It's funny because I was on the fence of Pronger, and I think the way you just explained it there, Joey, with having uh, an identity of like with that team of what Embodies they did, one yeah, team, yeah. And I think of the President's yeah. Trophy team immediately, and it's like, well, I think you just changed. You got me off the fence, so thanks, Joe. Okay, you're welcome. Yeah, and I remember when, and I remember in the ceremony when Shane Doan's jersey was retired, like his family was out there, and and I remember like people thinking at the time, like you know, he didn't win anything, but you know, but you see him out there, and but the the crowd went nuts. I mean, right. the fans in Arizona. I mean, what he means to that city. Uh, again, it's just it's kind of like the Sedin twins, like. You think of Vancouver, you think of Sedin Twins, you right. think of Arizona, and you think of Shane Doan, and that's why that's why his numbers in the Raptors. You Two know? more for you guys, Adam Foot. No, <sighs> I would say definitely not. No, this doesn't jump on. out as a retired number. About it. Did they retire? No, there's no way he didn't do that much. I know he won two cups with them. Did he win two cups? Two cups. He won. I'll say yeah. I'll say yeah. They put it up there. Uh, you know what? What number was he? Fifty-two. I'm trying to think. Yeah, if I've ever seen fifty-two. Yeah, fifty-two. Uh, think, you know what? Yeah. There is a fifty retired. In that freaking Pepsi Center, is it Adam Foot? It's. I, I need a yes or no, Joe. I'm, say okay, yes. I'm gonna have to go say yes. I remember there's a 50 in there somewhere. It is not. Wow, it's not. I trumped both of you guys. Man, no I didn't know way. I was that good at that. So here are the numbers that are retired. I thought it was. Oh my gosh, I'm incorrect. Is there? It is, is, it is retired. It is, it is retired. retired right? like, ah. Yeah, it is retired. I for a minute there, I put it up and I said, "There's no way it's not." But yeah, it's retired along with Ray Bork. Patrick Waugh, Milan Hayduk, oh, Peter yeah. Forsberg, and Joe Hasakic. Dude, I, I I knew there was a 50s up there somewhere. I remember it was kind of an odd number, too. So 52, right? Adam yeah. Foot. Yeah, that's right. Man, he's he's been 12 seasons with him. I didn't realize that. Do you remember yeah. when you guys did the the player from the 2000s you would tell your family about or whatever? Yeah. I, Milan Hayduk, I thought, would be on that list. But then I, like, start looking at his numbers. Kind of overshadowed yeah. by the guys he played with, yeah. right? Yeah. All right. Really yeah. Good. We had one really good season. Final but... one for you guys. This one's what a tricky one. Minnesota they retired boy I, I don't even like trying to find a way to phrase this the minnesota wild fans are they retired wait what is the i mean the way you're, you're the way you're saying this i would say this yes is, this is like but this, like, this is alex this when is, I talk to this, players. This okay, you're, a you're, you're, you're a polished so, professional. Okay, no, you're better than that. That's what you think. You think I'm a polished <laughs> professional. So are the Minnesota Wild retired? The fans. I mean, it seems like something they would do. Like the like the, the 11th, like the 12th man in Seattle yeah, kind of deal? Guys, I get it. I butchered the question. They, Jeez. The Minnesota Wild <laughs> retired the number one for their fans. Oh, my goodness. Come on Number now. one fans? Come on now. 
So that's not really a, it's a question. You're just stating a, a I was fact. Just stating that... a fact because I was so excited <laughs> to tell you how dumb that was, but I blew it. Uh, what else is new? But we'll, we'll, we'll admit it tonight that Joe Vitale and Danny Bedlock, Dan Pants, no retired numbers in the NHL. We'll take a break. <laughs> God, that was awful, Ferrario. We'll take a break. We'll come back and talk a little Jordan Cairo next here on This Week in Hockey on 101 ESPN. Well, Joe, I can just officially call it and just let you and Dan do it the rest of the night. I'm getting texts from all kinds of people butchering that question. <laughs> These are the moments that I'm glad Chris Kerber is not a part of the show. Oh, man. <laughs> right? he, he would have roasted you darker than the Brussels sprouts I had for dinner last night. Oh, nice, nice. First of all, why are you eating Brussels sprouts? Because, buddy, I'm keep trying to keep it tight. Hey, you know, summer bodies are built in the winter. You know that. Summer bodies are built in the winter. That is... That is the most profound thing I think you and I have ever talked about on the airwaves. <laughs> Although I will say last week we talked about flossing and yeah. I took up more flossing because you instilled that into my life. I feel like I needed to bring up um, the intelligence of this show because you just completely butchered it on our last segment. Yeah, I really did. We need to start making fe- people feel a lot smarter when they're on the airwaves with us because I just butchered that bad boy. We'll talk more. <laughs> <laughs> if there was the contest oh, for the worst question God. ever asked in the history I basically, of- <laughs> I basically answered my own question and then paused to try and fake you guys out and just freaking, I don't even know where to go with that anymore. But Hey, Hey Dan, I need you to uh, tape that and then send it. We just we're gonna start the six eighteen show <laughs> oh, tomorrow God. when the Blues play the Vegas Golden Knights with that clip. Oh, Dan, God. will you do that for us? I will grab it. Yikes! Please don't. Thanks, do that. brother. I can't wait to hear. Curbs is on. going. Oh, God. He will butcher. <laughs> He's cut you. He will butcher the hell out of me on that one. Uh, we'll mm. talk. We'll talk more about Pronger's number going up into the rafters in our next segment. But uh, now, Joe, I wanted to get into a little Jordan Cairo talk, and we started a little talking about that at the uh, opening segment tonight but um it, it was nice to see Cairo one be in the lineup um yesterday of course he was on the fourth line but you know after Craig Berube had that long talk with him at practice on Friday and after Craig Berube made the comments of you know he's got to be able to play in the NHL a lot of people were thinking boy the relationship right now must not be good between Berube and Cairo and I see it the complete opposite way this is Craig Berube's opportunity to help Kairou go from a 21-year-old who's only played in the AHL to being an NHL forward. And I think that's exactly what he was trying to accomplish with his comments. Well, I, I agree. I think that for Craig Berube to make those comments about him, Alex, it shows, first of all, that he cares. And second of all, more importantly, I think it shows that Craig Berube is now looking at Jordan Kairou that we – we need you. It's You know what I mean? It's one of yeah. those moments where I think as a young player, you want to come in, you want to fit in, you want to contribute here and there. I, I think he's gone from helping this team win to now like we need you to win. You look at Tarasenko who's down. You, you, you're looking at some of the players who look very tired. David Perron starting to slow down a little bit from a point production standpoint. Uh, this team needs energy. They need a spark. They need a, a young player to step over the boards and have an impact because that's something that's been lacking over the last couple weeks. And a player to me that can do that is Jordan Cairo. And I think Craig Berube has come to the point now where he's looking at his group. He knows what his group needs. He, he knows he, he understands he needs that youthful spark. And he's looking to Jordan Cairo to be that. That's why that conversation is saying how we need you to understand 
this is the National Hockey League and things are done differently here. And you know what? This is, it's, these are growing pains for Jordan Cairo. He went from junior to the minors where, I mean, you pretty much go to the rink and then you come home, you play video games. And that's all you really do. You show up, you practice, you go home. It's very easy for a player to do that. But the National Hockey League is different. And every player has that aha moment where they understand it's not just show up, you know, shoot some pucks, do a couple drills and go home. You have to take your body and your mind to a completely different level. You're showing up two hours before, not just to tape your sticks and goof off with your buddies. I mean, look at Jay Bomey, sir. Because of how he has approached this profession from a body and mind standpoint. Mike Yo last year would always talk about how he was the first one in the weight room and he was just the last one to leave every day. I mean, what he put his body through uh, to make sure he was ready for the game. So that's the comment that really stuck out about Craig Berube is that, you know, we're not seeing it in games. He's starting slow. He's feeling the game out from the drop of the puck. You can't feel the game out when you're a young player. You have to make an impact on that first shift. And it starts in practice. It starts in your habits. It starts when you show up to the rink. Again, it's cultivating your life around now. This is my profession. They're going to pay me millions of dollars to do this. I got to take it to another level. And I think for Craig Berube, maybe he didn't see that, that another level yet with Jordan Cairo. And this was a warning shot. This was, hey, this is what we need you to do. This is what we need you to be. Look around. You got the Jay Bomeisters who are in the weight room. You got the Ryan O'Reilly's who, who have really just mastered his craft. I mean, these are the players you have to learn from, and you got to start taking your career to a new level and approach this thing in a different manner because this team really needs you at this moment in the season. Well, in the part that got me, you know, I had so many people texting and, and tweeting me uh, once I put that quote out there from Barubi saying that, you know, look, Kairou's just got to learn to play at the NHL. It's not an easy place to play. And they're like, oh, I think he should have kept that to himself. He's calling out Kairou. I don't think that's it at all. If you look at what he has done through his time being with the Blues organization, whether it was Chicago Wolves or up with the Blues as the head coach or even the assistant coach when Mike Yo was here, he's changed the younger players' games and provided them confidence. Ivan Barbashev, Curbs, you and I have talked numerous times about what Barubi did for Barbashev confidence while in Chicago. Oscar Sundquist, when you look at what he was in Pittsburgh and what he became in St. Louis with Craig Barubi. Robert Thomas, and that's the one I always go to, Joe, because last year, Robert Thomas was in the exact same situation Jordan Cairo was. He couldn't go to the minors, couldn't go back to juniors. He was at the NHL level, and he wasn't performing to to what Craig Berube or Mike Yo wanted, so they sat him out. They let him sit up top with Steve Ott and Sean Farrell and David Alexander to watch the game and then go in there and perform. And I think he had that aha, aha moment last year. Well, and we all saw now what Robert Thomas has become, but again, it was his decision. It was his decision to uh, absorb what his coach was asking him to do, and then he went out there. He surrounded himself with great people, and he took his his took his game. He took his life to a whole different level. And now we're starting to see the benefits of that right now. You know, I think Craig Berube from those comments, I think he's kind of made a different adjustment, which we haven't really seen him do with Jordan Cairo since he's been called up this year. Looking at last night's game, Alex, he started on that fourth line. Now Jordan Cairo is a top six player, yeah. at least he was heading into the National Hockey League. They put him with Jaden Schwartz and Braden Shen. They've tried him up with Ryan O'Reilly. They've had him with the Bozak line on the third line as well. But they, we really haven't seen him start a game on that fourth line like we did last night. Now, I really like that adjustment from Craig Berube because, again, we're talking about a young player who's still trying to find his place on this team and in this league, trying to find consistency. And with that, 
it becomes even more stressful when you're playing with superstars and all-stars like Braden Shen and Ryan O'Reilly. Now, instead of that, he comes into the game last night and he's looking over to his left, or excuse me, to his right, and he sees Ivan Barbashev. Well, that's a familiar face. And then he looks even a little bit more farther to the right, and he sees Mackenzie McEachern. That's a really familiar face. So I think from a comfort level standpoint, I think that game last night was a lot easier for him because he wasn't stressed about fighting James Schwartz. He wasn't stressed about making sure Ryan O'Reilly got the puck in the area where he needed to, or David Perron continues his point tear this season as he kind of you know recreates his career and kind of gets to the next milestone. So he's not worried about all those things. He's just worried about playing hockey, and there's no stress around him to, to, to really force him in, in decisions he doesn't want to make. And we saw the benefit of it. I mean, look at that game last night. We talked about it in that first hour there, Alex, but he, you know his forecheck, his speed, he caused a turnover that led to a good scoring chance for the St. Louis Blues. He had good back pressure off the goal where he's in the right spot, right in the middle of the ice, stick on the ice, good fundamental. He gets a poke. He sets a barbershop for the only goal the Blues scored in that short game last night for the St. Louis Blues. But immediately he had an impact. You saw his speed. You saw the confidence. I think this is a good base. I think it's a good foundation to start Jordan Cairo on. Maybe don't throw him up there on that top line where he's going to you know, potentially log 15, 16 minutes. Because we saw that last week, and he had about four turnovers in that first period, and that's why he got sacked pretty much the rest of the game. Maybe start him off at the bottom. Let's get him used to it. Let's get his legs going. Let's get his confidence going with the limited minutes he's going to play with players around him that are familiar. And then from there, maybe that's where we build. Maybe he's having a good game on the fourth line. We put him up on the third line every now and then. Or maybe someone's slacking the first line. Let's say, uh, for example, I don't know, um, uh, James Schwartz is having an off night. Maybe if he's playing well, then you give him a little shot on the first line. You know, kind of, kind of manage it from that standpoint. That could, I could see how that could really benefit a young player uh, coming into this league and trying to find his place. Yeah, without question. And uh, we'll see if he's in the lineup tomorrow night, I would imagine, especially picking up an assist. You'll see him in the lineup for the Blues against the Golden Knights. It's Joe Vitale. I'm Alex Ferrario. It's this week in hockey. We found out on Saturday night that Chris Pronger's number 44 is headed to the rafters. Joe and I will discuss that next here on 101 ESPN. Back in on a Wednesday night, Alex Ferrario, Joe Vitale with you. We will be back with you next Wednesday night when the Blues are home, I believe. So 6 to 8 o'clock, another Wednesday night. We're back to a little normalcy with this week in hockey, which is always a good thing. But we come your way every week. And, of course, John Kelly comes your way every week with Behind the Bench, presented by Boardwalk Hardwood Floor. You'll hear from the head coach, Craig Berube, and a couple of other entertaining guests that comes your way Friday night from 6 to seven o'clock along with Joe Vitale and Alex Ferrario Saturday night we found out some exciting news uh, exciting news for Blues fans as well as number 44 is headed to the rafters and we did some number uh, number games a little bit ago Joe and this one to me is just a, a perfect a perfect decision by the St. Louis Blues organization to retire Chris Pronger's number because you know as you stated earlier you know, you, you retire the number of somebody who embodies that team to where when you think of a of a team, you think of that player. And Brett Hall, Brian Sutter, Bobby Plager, Bernie Federko, Chris Pronger is one of those guys who when you think of his name, you think of the St. Louis Blues. You do. I mean, my, 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 first, my first impression of Chris Pronger – actually happened alex uh so it was back in 2011 okay so follow me on this one here okay so in 2009 my uncle joe he has this farm out in saint genevieve it's like in wine country it's just like a beautiful house and a nice 
stretch of land. So he bought it from Chris Pronger back in like 2009 or 2008. I'm not sure what happened. Uh, again, I'm, I'm only in college at this time. This is all kind of <laughs> happening in 2008. And this may have been when he went from St. Louis to Anaheim. Anyway, so my uncle and my Chris Pronger, they negotiate the deal. My uncle buys the farm from Chris. I don't know what happened in the negotiation process. And my uncle could be a bit of a hothead. But I remember him telling me that if you ever see that Chris Pronger, if you ever, he goes, Joe, if you ever make it to the NHL, I know you were drafted. If you ever end up making it there and you play Chris Pronger, would you please just smash him so hard and just beat the crap out of him? I'm like, oh my God, sure. Geez, like what? You know, I'm not sure if there was some, some negotiations with the price or maybe something didn't go the way he wanted it or whatever. Long story short, he buys his farm. It's a beautiful farm. Uh, he has no ill will towards Chris, but there was just probably something, as we all know, whoever we buy houses from, there's always hiccups uh, well, in that process. I think we need to have Pronger so, on, and I think we need to have Uncle Joe on to hash this out. Hey, hey, you for, for the sake of Chris Pronger, you don't want to have my Uncle Joe <laughs> uh, in the same room with him. Uh, I will say that. But anyway, so I get to the league. 2011, uh, one of the, uh, last year's Chris Pronger's in that league. He's playing for the Philadelphia Flyers. I was with the Penguins, so we had some battles. I remember that first game. I remember seeing Pronger was playing. I remember thinking, like, oh, wouldn't that be funny if I could just line him up and hit him for my Uncle Joe? It was the first period. It's a four check. The puck's thrown into the left corner. It's kind of whipping around the boards. He ends up getting behind the net, but I'm like winding up speed. And I remember he's behind the net and he just gets the puck. And I'm like so close to him. I'm full speed. He's got his head down. I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to light him up. I go to throw the biggest hit. Alex, I bounce off him uh, like like a rubber ball, like against like a brick wall. I mean, literally, like I, I got I took the worst of the hit, and he didn't even see me come. I mean, that that is how big this guy is, and I I kind of was like a dog with my tail between my legs, going back to the bench. I, not only did I disappoint myself and my team, but I disappointed my uncle Joe. Uh, you know, like like I felt like I felt like I went back to the bench, and under my breath, I said, "Oh, and now I I bring my family shame." You know, like one of those moments. <laughs> But um, he, he has been uh, such a staple in this league, uh, and you know that that's my Chris Pronger story. But that that just embodies what Chris Pronger brought to the game of hockey from from a size standpoint, uh, from a physicality standpoint. Uh, you know, you play over eleven 1, hundred games in this league, uh, nine seasons with the St. Louis Blues. You know what is Blues hockey? Blues hockey is blue collar, rugged. Uh, agitating, aggressive, get under your skin, keep it simple. And to me, uh, like with David Backus and those recent players in this history of the Blues, uh, Chris Pronger is a player, Bear Jackman, another one. Th those are those three players that just really embody what St. Louis Blues hockey has been represented by over these last 15 to 20 years. Uh, it's, it's a 44 number that belongs in the Raptors. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of surprised that it's taken this long. I think everyone understood that it was a no-brainer. It was just a matter of timing. When do we release it? When can we fit it in? I'm sure the Blues winning the Stanley Cup last year didn't help uh, with this matter. But, you know what I mean, just he's had success everywhere he's gone. I mean, he's had success here with the Blues, winning the President's Trophy, never get the Cup. But then he goes to Anaheim. He wins the Cup there. They had success in Philly. They had success in, in Edmonton. Excuse me. He's a player that has just um, – made a teams better he's made his players better i mean alex we had the first conversation with him after yeah. he um had that announcement and one thing that he just it stood out about him was he was one of his main jobs was uh, to create space for his teammates and he did that by being that agitator by being aggressive by being physical by being
Enos, that big body. And I'm telling you right now, he was a player that made his teammates better around him because of the space that he provided uh, for all the ones close to him. You know, the part that I love about him too, Joe, is his sense of humor. And, you know, it's so rare to find a guy who can flip a switch the way Pronger does to where, you know, one moment he is just a monster on the ice like a Hulk where he just wants to destroy anybody who comes near him. But then the next moment he's got this biggest smile on his face and he's chuckling off whatever is going on. And I thought... Your conversation and question with him on Saturday was excellent. And if people missed it, you know, you joked with him and said, Chris, you know, I think I still have a limp from a hit that you laid on me. And he joked back with you and said, you got me up my older days. He said, you should have met with me in the 90s. <laughs> That's right. Hey, that was great. Yeah, he said, he said, I got you in 2011, eh, Joe? I was like, yeah. He goes, oh, you got me in my last year. He goes, you're lucky I didn't get you uh, mid-90s, late-90s. I was like, oh, my God. you know. How, but how funny, how witty. you know. But right. that's, that's that generation of hockey players. That's that wittiness, Alex, that you, you see every day with these players. I mean, uh, there's the uh, expression, leave your emotions at the door. Check them at the door when you come to the locker room because there are just – there's no holding back. And I think when you're Chris Pronger and you've been in the league, uh, again, for 1,100-plus games, I mean, you see some peaks and valleys. You see some personalities, and you can't help but let that affect you and kind of shift your personality. And it's one of the coolest things about hockey players is that wittiness, as is that humor, the ability to improvise on, like, uh, a drop of a dime, like literally in a split second if a conversation goes one way and something said, how they can just quickly jump on it and make a joke about it. I mean, but that is a credit, I think, to also – the speed of the game. I think uh, that our nervous systems are, are so shooken up and we have to react so quickly because we've been doing it our whole lives. And that's why in those conversations where players can just find that humor. I mean, Kelly Chase is another yeah. one. I mean, just players that they just have, even a quieter example of all that is Chris Pronger's partner who's on the trip Al here, Al McGinnis. I mean, he is he is a quiet guy, but man, he is witty. Like everything he says, like, where did he think of that? Like, and where do people think of these things? Don't you, but, uh, don't Chris you hate just, those people because you're like, why can't I be that good? Yeah. Right? <laughs> I tell you what, man. But, uh, you know, Chris Pronger, he, uh, he's a class act. Yeah, he is so good off the ice, even to this day, with the alumni, how he helps out around St. Louis. Uh, a great presence, a great person. I remember the Jumbotron last year when the Blues were on that run, Alex, to the Stanley Cup championship, and they put up all those alumni, and they were kind of, you know, the different little snippets. Yeah. Uh, they had Chaser and Plager and Pronger and Hull. Yeah, I don't know about you, but every time Pronger came on, I felt that there was a, just a little bit more energy than oh, any of yeah. them. I think it just speaks volumes of how much these fans appreciated what Chris Pronger did. 44 in the Raptors, absolutely no question. Um, well-earned and well-deserved for the entire Pronger family. Well, and it's no surprise either and no coincidence. Wherever he went, he had winning with him. You know, he goes to Anaheim one year, he wins a Stanley Cup, he goes to Ed, or I'm sorry, not one year, but he goes to Anaheim a couple of years and they're in consideration. They win the Cup the one year. He goes to Edmonton one year, takes him to the Cup final, goes to Philly, he goes to the Cup final one year. It's just, it's no coincidence that this guy just has winning around him his entire career. And again, we'll see that number 44 go up in the rafters next season at a two be determined date when we come back on this week in hockey nhl might be willing to participate in the olympics for 2020 is that a good thing or a bad thing joe and i will discuss next here on 101 espn back on a wednesday night alex ferrario joe vitale with you we got one more segment after this it's our what's up with that segment a couple of biggies we'll get into one including an alma mater of joe vitale's no big deal 
But we'll save that for our last segment. But before that, Joe, I want to talk a little Olympics with you because this was a hot topic uh, last year. Um, if I'm not mistaken, or maybe it was two years ago, 2018, I guess, when they when the NHL players wanted to participate in the Olympics, and basically the NHL wouldn't allow them. They told them that if you're going to play in the Olympics, you're going to be suspended for the rest of the season because I know Alex Ovechkin was really upset about it, talked about wanting to participate, um, and it kind of seemed like it took a hit between the NHL and the NHL Players Association. But now at least it seems like they're making strides towards getting this back in 2022 as the IOC, basically in charge of the Olympic Committee, said that they will welcome back NHL players and do so by covering the costs of insurance, travel, et cetera, everything that goes into it for the players that they weren't willing to do in 2018. So at least we're seeing strides toward possibly another Olympics. Well, I think so. And I really hope that this, this works out um, for, for, for players, for the league, for uh, the global growth of the game, which yeah. has been a priority for Gary Bettman. And I think for the sport of hockey, this is why Calgary Flames had to go to China. I think it was last year they spent time in China. I mean, they're trying to get more and more games over there to just increase this game. So uh, that that's obviously a priority for our commissioner. Um, you know, for these players, I think missing that 2018 South Korea games, uh, I think that was um, it was a hit for some of these players. I think that these players love representing their country. I think of the, the moments in Vancouver when Sid won it and I believe it was overtime or double overtime to beat USA. I mean, those are the cool moments. I remember the Sochi games. Those must have been back, I guess, in 2014 at the time. I, I do remember one thing about Sochi, though. I think that that whole setup was ha- it had to be built in a very timely manner. And from what I received from players about the Sochi games, Alex, uh, I think hotels weren't necessarily finished on time. Uh, the travel was a bit of a disaster. Yeah. I think there, was, there were a lot of hiccups. Let's just put it this way. There were a lot of hiccups with the Sochi games back in 14. Um, I think that's why in 18, in South Korea, that that played a huge role. It's why the NHL and the NHLPA um, couldn't come to terms about how to get this figured out here for the players. That's why the IOC, as you mentioned, the International Olympic Committee, has addressed, they've come right at the players with open arms and said, hey, we're addressing these things. Uh, one of the big things was insurance, like players' insurance. If, if, if a player gets hurt over there, they're going to negotiate that. Uh, another one is travel. Uh, travel costs, how they're going to get there, where they're going to stay. These are some of the issues that happened in Sochi, why they missed in South Korea. And this is something that the Olympic Committee has come together and they're trying to reach the NHL and the NHLPA saying that we want the players to come over there. And and I think, again, not only for expanding the league uh, from a global standpoint, like we already mentioned, but how exciting is it? I, I remember those Sochi games. Uh, yeah. I mean, the fourth line, I think I remember for the – I want to say uh, Canada was like Martin St. Louis, I think Rick Nash and Matthew Shane. That was like your fourth line. That's I a mean, terrible fourth about, line. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the dream teams. Like how cool is that to see all these superstars representing their country in such a midpoint of the season? Not only for those players, but I'll tell you what, there's a bunch of players, NHL guys back home that definitely want to see it, not only from the excitement from the game, but those Olympic breaks, those are like two, two and a half, three weeks. I mean, players right. have a really nice vacation when these players, especially go to a place like Beijing, where they'll be in 2022. So I, I hope I hope it works out. You know, I, I will never forget that Olympic, Joe, where it was USA in Canada, where, of course, TJ Oshie scored those those shootout goals um, before they went to the championship game. And, and my dad and I were in Savannah, Georgia. We were moving my sister into college and we scheduled 
our trip home. We left early enough so that we made it back to St. Louis, so we were home in time for puck drop of that championship game. And and that's what those Olympics provided. There was so much excitement surrounding the Olympics that you were watching to see not only what your team did in terms of, you know, the St. Louis Blues players, or if you were a fan of the Colorado Avalanche, what those players did, but you're also watching and rooting for USA. You're getting pumped up. You're wanting to be around the televisions. And you know what? I think it's a perfect solution for the NHL in terms of building that global brand because then you have other countries buying jerseys of their favorite players. Other countries are talking about TJ Oshie and the St. Louis Blues. You know, the only holdup with this topic, of course, is the taking the two and a half weeks off to where I guess the NHL feels that they're getting robbed of two and a half weeks of television deals, of all of the product that they're giving out, the ticket sales, the television viewerships. That's where they feel like they're losing their money. But to me, I think that's something that the NHL can suffer from for two and a half weeks in terms of building the brand from the global perspective. Yeah, I think you could lose money in the short term, Alex, but let's talk about an example you just brought up. I mean, when TJ Oshie went on that shootout tear that he did, I still will watch every shootout from the Washington Capitals just waiting for TJ Oshie to shoot. So from that standpoint, you can look at the effect that TJ Oshie had in the Olympics, what effect he still has on the National Hockey League. And that's how for every fan, when they see TJ Oshie, I think every player, every every fan is hoping that that game is going to get to overtime and it's going to go to shootout because you want to see TJ Oshie right. in that shootout, right? There are so many moments we go to Vancouver and I, and I, I still hear players chit-chat about that's the net, that's the end, that's where Sid scored that overtime goal yep. to, to, for Canada. I mean, those moments are just those, – those are the surreal moments and those are the stories that just continue the legacy of the NHL that you can look, look at behind hindsight 2020, but in the big picture, uh, the Olympics with the NHL players, and it only grows the game. So, yeah, for the NHL, yes, you may be losing money here or there. But uh, the, the, the stories, I mean, I remember when Sid scored that. It was I remember hearing about the story of the plane ride on the way home. So he's on the same plane as Brooks Orpik, who represented the USA in that championship game. And they're both flying back to Pittsburgh to continue the season with the Penguins. I mean, it, it's amazing. And, and it's a funny story. But Sid, uh, he actually tucked his gold medal away in his bag. Every player through the airports got on their flights and they were all wearing their gold medals because they're proud of it. They should be. But Sid, you know, he takes his gold medal, he puts it in his duffel bag, and he didn't wear it out of respect for Brooks Orpic. I mean, those kind of moments, those kind of stories are really cool. I, I think it's such a buzz when the NHL players go. I hope they get it figured out. I know another wrinkle uh, with all this, and, and I'm never going to go into detail with the subject because, God, I'm not a lawyer. This is why I'm doing radio with you, Alex. <laughs> but uh, the CBA is up uh, at the end of the 2022 right. season, uh, which kind of has a wrinkle where I, I believe the league is saying that unless there's a renegotiation in play, they don't feel comfortable with letting the players go. But then the players are saying, well, if the CBA is not up until the end of 2022, we're still within range of the current um, CBA kind of platform. So why does that matter? So again, without getting into details, because I, I don't want to, you know, talk myself into a circle when I don't really don't know the subject. But I know that's a big part of it. 
Um, and so I'll let the lawyers kind of figure that out. But that that is another wrinkle with the NHL with Gary Bettman and Bill Daly and what they're going to try to figure out and make sure they kind of iron out the details of that. And again, it just comes down to negotiations um, with Fierzy as well. So we'll see. You know, and one more thing that I think it does too, Joe, is, you know, and I know the NHL has been trying to build a global brand by, like, like you mentioned, sending them to China and sending them to Sweden. I know the Blues played in Sweden a, a few years back against the Detroit Red Wings. Um I think, you know, because the players talked about that China trip of how it really kind of screwed with the beginning of their season because they had to adjust to the time zone. There was some jet lag still. I think that has more of a lasting effect than a two and a half week break in the NHL for the Olympics because there's more of a leniency. It's not in the middle of your season. It's not dictating your NHL season. It's just a break and you can eliminate the bye week that's there because the two and a half weeks is the bye week. So you're just adding a week on. I just think it does an awful lot more for the team to where you're not having to find different ways to send them to Russia or send them to Calgary or not Calgary to, to, um, to China or Sweden or to Sochi. I think you can just focus on letting them go represent the team every four years in the Olympics. Yeah, I mean, that's a good way to look at it, for sure. I mean, uh, I will say, if if this doesn't get worked out, I mean, you almost question why send Calgary to China? Why, why right. make, try to make such an impact on this global stand? Uh, if they're not even going to be participating in the Olympics. Because, I mean, there is that side of it, too, from the jersey sales and just the excitement from around the world. Um, and I can tell you another thing. If they, do, if they don't work it out, uh, I don't expect any teams in the near future to be going to Beijing or be going to anywhere in Japan to be playing those Global Series games. Because, like you said, Alex, I talked to Matthew Kachuk. I talked to James Neal about this. When they had to travel last year, All I mean, that – that had a significant impact on yeah. on these players from a body standpoint. I think to come right back and jump right into the regular season. Talk about a disadvantage they were at uh, right out of the gates uh, for that season. I mean, you're traveling all the way across the world for this. You want to you want to hope that it's for something. And I think if the players can get into the Olympics, you can see the benefits of these small trips, like the Blues had to take to Sweden. But if they don't. Um, it does kind of put like a little sour spot, like, oh, man, what, what, what are we trying to build here? Right. So again, I, I do hope that the International Olympic Committee, the NHL, the NHLPA, they can all sit down. Uh, it won't be a quick negotiation, I don't think, but at the fact that the IOC, the IOC excuse me, has come back at the players and is addri- addressing their issues about how they want to improve all these details uh, to make it more of an incentive to get there, I think that is such a great step to seeing uh, Marty St. Louis and a Matthew Shane fourth line again, of course, with different players. Cause you know, Martin St. Louis, that wouldn't be a really good pickup for the Canadian yeah. team at this point. May want to pass on that one, at least at this time of the year, uh, we'll take, <laughs> we'll take our final break. We'll come back with a little what's up with that. As we wrap up this week in hockey tonight here on one one ESPN. All right, Joey V as we wrap up a little this week in hockey and some what's up with that. I'll start things off with the New York Rangers. If not already dealing with the trade deadline and the rumors of Chris Kreider being on the move, Pavel Buchnevich, totally just butch, butchered that, just totally butchered that name, if you know where I was going with it. Um, so they were walking out onto the ice the other Man, I am having a bad night tonight, Joe. Um, <laughs> hey, before we go there. I was thinking that I knew I know how you could have asked that question better. Okay, give it to um, me. Why didn't you just say this? Why didn't you just say, 
hey guys, I guarantee you cannot tell me what number one was retired from the Minnesota Wild. Just say that. God. Just say that. <laughs> Joe, you just made, you just made my <laughs> night worse now because now you just you just one up me there. You just showed me, man. You just showed me radio. Oh no, Dan freaking pulled it. Oh my god. <laughs> Oh God! Oh, oh! <laughs> this that God? That's just embarrassing. But yeah, that's the way I should have phrased it. <laughs> I can't even handle that. I can't even handle that. The to... silence was deafening. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What makes that? What makes that is Dan in the background going, uh, 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 "Are they retired? Like, just you're an idiot, Ferrario." So is it is it a player or so, so are you a, telling us so, that they're retired? So and then you ended it. Yeah. So Minnesota's they have a, their fans are number one, and so you just told us we're like, okay, there's no more question. It's not even a guessing game anymore. You freaking blew it, Ferrario. Oh, geez. All right. Well, let's get back into this, Alex. Don't mess this up anymore. So. Pavel Buchnevich walking onto the ice, the cameraman there for the New York Rangers. Buchnevich is laughing, looks at the camera, and says, number 12, fellas, and then points to number one, Chris Kreider. He's basically yeah, how about laughing that? about the fact that they are both going to be traded from New York. Yeah, I mean, that was hilarious. So what he was referring to, so TSN put out a, I guess, one of their latest trade lists, if you will. Yeah. I'm not sure what, it was a top 20 maybe or something like that. Like a trade deadline want list or something. Yeah, like who's number one? And of course, Chris Kreider is number one. And then uh, Bushnevich is number 12. And then uh, he points to Kreider and says he's number one. And I think if I if I watched it correctly when I saw that out, I think Kreider may have said like "shut up" in Russian or like "be quiet" in Russian or something like I that. Which did. I didn't know he spoke Russian, but uh, apparently I don't know. I thought he did because it looked. Somebody said that on Twitter. They said that he told him to shut up in Russian, where it's like, oh wow, okay. You could obviously yeah. tell he's not too fond of that. But I just oh, I man. couldn't believe he just laughs that off and walks by with it. Also, I know what I couldn't believe, Joe. It, I, you'd be on board with agreeing with me that Ryan Reeves is probably the most intimidating player in the NHL. Yeah, I think. Well, I asked um, who did I ask this the other day to. And he said that uh, without question, he's the most scared guy. Who was I with? Jeez, uh, I'm, I'm pulling uh, on Alex now. Uh, you're, you're pulling a Ferrario tonight. I'm pulling. Uh, oh, it was Craig Berube. It was Craig oh, Berube. Oh, there we go. I had to sit down. Uh, well, I hate to name drop here, but I'm talking to the Blues coach. No big deal. Uh, at, the All-Star, at the All-Star events. And and I just asked him, I go, I go, if you were in the league right now, who would you be most intimidated by? And, of course, he said, well, me. And everyone got a <laughs> chuckle out of that. Uh, and then he said, no, I think Ryan Reeves is a very tactical, good fighter. He's tough. Um, so, boy, I really got off the, the subject there. Anyway, yes, he is a very intimidating fighter. Alex, what do you got? Well, uh, Matt Dumba doesn't think so. So in the Minnesota Wild Vegas Golden Knights game the other night, he decides after a hit from Reeves that was a clean hit, a good hit, Dumba was embarrassed. So he decided to uh, take the hockey stick and use it as a weapon in between the legs. Oof, man, that is such a bad move. That That is... 
That is such. Of course, well, I think I think I would get five thousand. Yeah, five. Uh, yeah, that. he was either twenty five hundred or five thousand. He got the max fine. Okay, so he got a ding. He got the he got the money ding for that. Of course, uh, that is one of those plays in hockey, Alex. That is just. Uh, of course, it's illegal, but it's also just um, one of those unwritten things you just don't do. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like the goaltenders back in the old days, Eddie Belfour, uh, Marty Bredor would come up and spear someone right between the legs. Like it's a two-minute penalty, but whatever. You, you, you just you can't do that. Another play that's not a penalty, but for example, you just never do in the league, and you will be just heckled till the day you retired, even after retirement. We were playing in Pittsburgh, and I remember Sid came back to the bench, and he was freaking losing it, like losing his mind. Effing bullshit, whatever, you know what I mean? I'm like, what's going on? And apparently, he was coming into the offensive zone, like a two-on-one, and he drops the puck back to Dominic Moore. And what Dominic Moore did was he was calling for the puck. He was saying, Sid, Sid, drop it, drop it, drop it, while Dominic Moore's playing for the Tampa Bay Lightning. So he's playing for the other team, and he's yelling to drop the puck. And again, Sid lost his mind, and he addressed it in the media. He said he's calling for the puck. I know it's not against the rules. It's just it should never happen in the game. Like there is there is a, wow. a code. There is a code, and he violated that code. Uh, I think when you spear someone between the legs, like Dumba has done, like goaltenders have done, spearing is another one. You just yes, it's illegal, but also you just. It's more about the code, and you violate that code, and you start doing that more in that league. And I tell you what, you get a bad name for yourself, and no one wants to be around players like that. I had no idea that that was an unwritten rule to, to not call oh, for the puck. It is. You just don't do it. I mean, it, even when you do it and it works, even your teammates are like, oh, God, that's – dude, that's, that, that, that's kind of gutless. Jeez. That's kind of gutless because, again – you're playing a game where, yes, you're, you're using your eyes, but you gotta use your instincts. You, you gotta listen. Teams are communicating. You, you can't. You can't just. You just can't hang on your eyesight. So to hear things, to feel things, and for other players to kind of trip you up and and call you by your first name to drop it. Oof. Bad luck. Wow. Well, Joe, we are going to wrap up with that one, buddy. Uh, great stuff tonight. It's only six o'clock in Vegas, so go have fun the rest of the evening. I'm gonna take a nice. I think I'll, I'm gonna take a nice bubble bath again. My second bubble bath of the night. God. I might get some food in to go. This is, you know what? It's been an emotional one, but I've been an emotional couple days for Joey Broadcast. So I think I'm gonna a nice little chicken fingers from room service, a nice bubble bath, and put me to sleep. You are a beaut, Joe. We'll talk to you tomorrow night, buddy. Thanks, Alex. Have a good one, pal. That's Joe Vitale. Big thank you to Dan Betlock, Blues and Golden Knights tomorrow night at nine o'clock, right here on your home for the Blues, 101 ESPN.